Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the TKW Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Anthony Corbo. I'm Kyle Maggio. And we're joined today by guest Derek Rose. Derek? Whoops. Uh, looks like maybe he's a no-show. Yeah, looks like uh, Derek Rose is calling off of this podcast, so it's just going to be the two of us Well, this y- week. you know everybody's entitled to their uh, one no-call, no-show, I suppose. Everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. <coughs> well, anyway, we're back on another episode, and it's not, it's not, been, a, it's not been a great week. No, no it hasn't. Um, I mean, we'll... I mean... There was the the Pelicans debacle, which just furthered this uh, this nasty little stretch that we've gone, this nasty little uh, downward spiral. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, the games have just been gross. You know, like the yeah. the Pacers game was just gross. The Pelicans game started out okay. Actually, they had some fight in the first half, and then I I'm not exactly sure when the switch just shut off, but it, it did. Well, let's start in Milwaukee because I thought those games were actually kind of exciting. Um, you know, you kind of you look at the the first game they were playing against them. They played it well up until that fourth quarter. They just fell apart, and then it was exactly the opposite the next day. Um, but they looked alive. There was some energy in those games. I mean, like it was especially uh, the game we won on Friday night. That was exciting. I was pretty pumped after that game. I thought they were going to have some momentum going forward. Well, you know, I, I kind of agree on that because for the Bucks games, at least, um, we were on the pod with uh, Jared at the time, and me, me and him both thought, you know, we were going to be able to pull that one out. We, we all felt comfortable about that. But, um, and to, truth be told, Giannis made a good shot. He's not a jump shooter as it is, and he hit a very difficult fadeaway step back with Lance in his shorts, basically, and you just got to kind of live with that because that's... That's just mm-hmm. fantastic D, but better O. Yeah. And uh, I think the one thing I really liked was KP kind of has a knack, or he's been showing a knack for trying to get aggressive when he's playing against another young star. And it looked like this time against Giannis, like he was really able to keep pace, which was kind of a, a fun surprise because normally when he's on the perimeter, especially, he kind of gets thrashed a little bit, but... I think reasonably so. Yeah, being seven foot three and so damn lanky. Yeah, so you you expect it to a degree, and he. I think that's kind of what got them going too. Was he was aggressive? He was going right at Giannis every time down the court. They were going at each other, and it was actually very fun to watch. So that's kind of partly what made that exciting. Was it was like Knicks versus Bucks, and then the little underlying story there was uh, Giannis versus KP, and and I like that and yeah they were two very good very you know hard fought games even with the first one being that uh heartbreaker but um the two games after that we were talking about momentum and it's a little disheartening that you know there was nothing in the Indiana game they were just down 20 25 most of that game got thrashed yeah and then you know outside of that little push by 
pretty much the rookies and Brandon Jennings. It it really it, it would have been a total laugh for them. At least the score looks like it was a little bit respectable. And uh, the Pelicans game, like again, I just it, it's hard for me to figure out, you know how you're fighting so hard in the first half, and then like it seemed like it was instant. Like all of a sudden, at the same moment, everyone just kind of gave up. So. I, I don't know. I think it kind of had a lot to do with, um, you know, no one knew. I mean, we'll touch on this a little bit more in a second, too. But, I mean, no one knew where the hell Derrick Rose was. I'm sure that kind of was in the back of everyone's mind going through that game. Uh, and then you start having guys like Melo getting ejected. And you got, you know, uh, right after that, you get O'Quinn ejected. And it's just one of those frustration games where, you know, they're doing this so many times over and over again, uh, you know, getting to starting off hot or having a little bit of hope to hold on to coming out of the locker room and then just starting to lose it. I just think that it's kind of, you know, maybe poisoning the mind of the guys on the team a little bit. They're starting to get to that stretch where they're giving up a little bit earlier uh, in the game than they would have previously. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a tough patch for them right now. Really, uh, really disheartening, but I mean, touch on some of the good things too we've seen coming out of this week and i think that's kind of maybe where we have to go with this team moving forward is kind of taking away what we can saw some good showings out of ron baker you know he came in played that whole fourth quarter uh friday against the bucks and then uh you know really kind of kept up a little bit from them not quite the same impact that he had in that game but kind of showing that he can be he can be a role player especially depending on how this team goes from here you know might be someone worth looking at what um yeah, I mean, there, there, there's things to look out for. There's not many this week, but there's going to be <coughs> moving forward. There's going to be some things that come out of each game, whether or not we win, whether or not we get blown out. There's going to be some silver linings in there. And about Ron, the thing I liked about him was he was kind of a uh, a point guard, Courtney Lee, if you will. He was a more of a distributing glue guy. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, I mean, in the Pelicans game, for example, he played sizable minutes. It was 25 minutes, and he had a... Six points on only five shots, three of five, seven rebounds, four assists, a couple of turnovers, but he had a steal. And it's it's those little consistent lines like that 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 mean something because that's kind of where impact is too. He he comes in. Remember, he was an undrafted rookie, and I mean, I for sure wasn't as high on him as I thought. You know, I don't I, think anybody. Really no, was. no, there was there was a couple of people. I don't know if it was us on the on the site, but. Um, I, we all kind of fell in love with Chasan Randall because he could shoot. He was a point guard who who could shoot, and, and we fell in love with that. And uh, I just like what I'm seeing from Ron uh, overall defensively. He's he's been stout. He a little bit of uh, excessive foul troubles, but um, I mean, I, I I don't know. I I feel like maybe that's and I said it after the Pacers game. I, I think maybe that's kind of the direction to go with if and, and I'm. I kind of like that Horner sex going with that. Basically, if you guys are going to get blown out, if you guys aren't going to show a lot of heart, you know, I'm going to play the young guys. If we're already going to lose, good thing to see moving forward, yeah, yeah. If we're already going to lose, if you guys aren't trying the way you should be trying, we're going to get some young guys, some burn, and then we're going to see what happens. And I do like that sort of statement. Yeah, Baker got more minutes because uh, Derrick Rose wasn't there, but you know, the fact that he was—I think he was the first guy off the bench against the Pelicans. So that would have happened regardless would have been him and Brandon Jennings so I, I just I like it I like what Hornacek's doing uh, amidst a, a terrible stretch here and I like that we're seeing some of the young guys a little bit more too because like you said you got to try to find some positives here in, in the midst of a slide like this and, and young guys playing is always a positive in my opinion you got to get them that experience 
Yep. And like looking at Ron too, kind of like you were, what you were saying about him being, uh, you know, that good role player, distributor, kind of fitting into his role thing. The reason why that's so, um, you know, imperative right now, and why that's that looks so good on the court is because that's kind of what uh, Jennings was doing earlier in the season. Yeah. Kind of really, uh, you know, being the distributor, getting guys the ball, fitting into a role pretty well. And then once he started struggling and started to force it a little bit, it hasn't quite looked the same. And that's why Ron Baker looks like such a fresh breath, uh, breath of fresh air in there. Um, but yeah, it's you know you got to run with the run with the young guys for now. Run with you know we don't know exactly what this team's going to look like in a month from now. We don't know whether this team goes into a full tank mode, whether or not they admit it or not, or if like say Melo gets shut down for the shoulder or something or. You know, that's all speculation. I haven't heard anything about that. But just, you know, we don't know what this team's going to look like in a couple of weeks. And for the time being, tough schedule coming up, tough month, you know, play hard, put some of the young guys out there, really test them and see what they can get out of you. Um, you know, maybe some time for some Plumlee or Endor might be in order as well. Um, but yeah, so our <coughs> records got pretty pretty messed up last week. We had, I think you went two and two. Jared and I both went three and one, and they got they ended up at one and three. So, what the hell do we know, right? I was a Giannis buzzer beater away from being correct. Yeah, uh, it's very yeah, very sure. close. I really thought he was gonna. I thought that forty point game was gonna come from him, but yeah, we we didn't we didn't guess anything, right? No. Um. All right. So, it's the question I guess buzzing around everybody's mind. What do you make of this whole Derrick Rose thing? I, it's still to me, it's not that it's touchy or, but it's still kind of a sensitive topic, I guess, because we don't, we still don't know anything. Well, we still don't know anything, and and that's why I've been trying to be kind of balanced about this, because yes, I, I know that there's there's some bias about how people feel about Derrick Rose after uh, the trial, and, and I know that I even was one on that too, because I, I didn't like a lot of the things that were coming out of his mouth. Um, during a case like that, I felt like you got to handle it a little bit better. But you got to, I think, put that aside when you when you deal with something like this because it seems strange for a couple of reasons. Now, yeah, there's the rumored blow up, right, but between him and Hornacek. So you keep that on the back of your mind when you consider this, and and maybe it did have something to do with it. You know, maybe he he was furious, but I think. I think it might be a couple of things, too, because, for example, um, and this might be a stretch, and, and I'm not trying to bail anybody out either, but mental health is a very fickle thing, and I feel like this kind of has some of the signs of somebody going through something, and I'm not sure if it's correct, I'm not sure, it's just some of the quotes afterwards, too, kind of line up with that, because he said, you know, I just felt like I had to go and be with my mom, and it just kind of had sort of the makings of a guy who wasn't in the right place mentally. Now, a bit distraught, yeah. A, a bit distraught. Now, maybe that did stem from an argument with Jeff Hornacek. Maybe it didn't. You know, maybe he, you know, wasn't happy with his play over this stretch, and then getting benched was the icing on the cake. I, I don't know. And he hasn't really yeah, opened I, up about it either. I think Rose, I think everyone could tell with the, um, you know, nearly 10 years that Derrick Rose has been in the league now, he's one of the most emotional guys that are going to be, that's out there. You know, he's a guy that kind of, he's going to say what's on his mind, he's going to wear his heart on his sleeve. So 
when he has something like a family issue come up or however this is going to end up playing out or whatever, how deep a family issue ends up being, um, it, it's just it's not so much that it happened like these things happen like you know something with your family you're obviously excused from a basketball game to go deal with it um but it's it's just the way that the whole thing was handled you know i it's i can understand him being upset with you know uh how the team's been playing lately this is his contract year this is his time he's supposed to shine it's obviously not going well uh you know he's not gelling with the coach he's not you know necessarily gelling on the court with the team or with the fans so he's got some got some issues on his mind already, and then depending on the severity of this issue, um, yeah, I, I can I can see how Rose, who doesn't exactly have a great track record for decision making, would be caught in a situation like this. The things that were really concerning to me were the next day when the comments came out that he saw that the Knicks called them and he just chose not to answer his phone. Well, I can understand if you're under pressure. That's kind of not how I think this team should have. Uh, that's not how he should have approached this to the media, and the team just really did a poor, poor job of handling this whole situation. Kind of caught under fire a little bit. I get it, but I mean, you're the New York Knicks, and you have this player that everyone's already a little iffy on, and waiting for him to make a mistake anyway. And then you know you can't figure out some kind of way to say that he's excused from the team for family issues or whatever, like. Hold him accountable, sure, but they had to have realized that everyone was going to speculate this like this, and everyone was going to be blowing this thing up as soon as they heard anything about it. Yeah, and and a couple other things too is, as maybe not smart as he's shown himself to be at, at times, and as poorly as he he words things, and says things, and even does things, it, it just strikes me as odd as he would just up and leave like that uh, unless like to me it just comes back to like a mental health thing but you also have to figure too like it, people want to make it out to be like oh it was a big f you to the knicks he wasn't happy with being benched perhaps i'm not ruling that out that's obviously everything's on the table right now but i'm just trying to make sense of that even because as frustrated as he's been he's even in this slide he's played pretty well offensively overall for the season now and he's in a contract year it doesn't make sense for me it, it, that it, it was just an FU move because you're trying to get another max deal or near max. You're trying to get a big money deal here at the end of the season, whether it's from the Knicks or not. So what sense would it make in the middle of the year when all the spotlight's on you already for you to just get up and go without telling anybody? And you know how these things are going to play out if you're an NBA player. There's a protocol you got to follow. So what sense would that make when you're on, on your prove-it part of the deal at this point to get get a big deal you got to cash out one more time because as a guard this is kind of your last window and it doesn't something strikes me as odd and, and even the way the I Knicks mean, handled it they they do this kind of petty aftermath tweeting of it too because remember with Joe Kimno and the soldiers um he, he didn't want to go to West Point or have dinner with the soldiers or whatever that happened and then the the PR account tweeted some picture of him shaking a soldier's hand and they quoted like oh hey we uh, i respect you or something like that after his comments came out about him not wanting to go to war with them right, yeah. or uh, to dinner with them and then because he's against war and then uh the next day after this debacle they have a picture of derrick rose with an amtrak thing yeah that was really uh 
interesting advertising they were putting out right there. <laughs> so, but but <laughs> I mean, like, you don't have any other pictures of those players walking down that tunnel. This that's what that's what's kind of getting to me is it's like it, it's this very poor, almost spiteful franchise the, the way they handle things too. Because mm-hmm. even if you have no idea where he is, you put out a quick statement. Just to cover your ass a little bit, buy, buy yourself some time. Just say, like, hey, right. I mean, he's out for personal saying. reasons, and then right. go figure it out. I, I understand the sense of, um, you know, you want to hold the guy accountable. Like, you know, if because if you say he's out for personal reasons, then how do you kind of, you know, show the next day that, you know, he's, uh, yeah, that, how, how do you punish him for just walking out the next day in the public eye, if not? You know, like, if, they're, if he's going to do this to the team, and you know they're just gonna find him and play him the next game or something like that. You at least want him to feel like, hey, this isn't okay. So you know now he's gonna take a hit uh, because you're right. This is the worst time in his career to do something like this. You know, middle of January, your team's in a bad losing stretch. Uh, you know, you're in a contract year. You have no guarantees from anybody on any side, and you walk out on your team. It, it's not it doesn't add up, know, especially when everyone's expecting you to do this. It's not the best move. No, it, um, it, it yeah, it, it's just it's pretty infuriating for that end, and it's just like, you know, I understand Nick's PR trying to, you know, it's like trying to play two, uh, like kind of a double-edged sword here. You want to hold the guy accountable, but you don't want to have a PR shitstorm like they had on uh, on Wednesday night or uh, whatever night it was that you went missing. My week's all messed up already. It's too early for a podcast. Yeah, but. Um, I, I don't know. It's just like, to me, what he's done to himself here is he's just, I, I don't see how the Knicks trust him enough at this point. Because this is what this contract's all about, getting his trust back. And he's shattered that. And I don't see the Knicks trusting him enough at this point, unless he really turns his play around more this season, to even consider resigning him in the offseason. Yeah, and I guess two last notes on the Rose thing. What well, Kind of piggybacking on what you said there. Um, they were basically banking on him having a resurgent year for that extension that's sort of how i saw it was if he came in and he played close to what he used to be they probably would have given him the money i don't know what money for what years but i think they would have extended him somehow and for a while there was a good what 20 or so games where he was playing and we discussed this in length in our little discussions that uh he was playing pretty much right spot on with less volume to Mm -hmm. his 2011 numbers offensively offensively and so you look at that and you're like okay well that's when they were 14 and 10 and and things were going well and they maintained that little contending spot for a a couple of weeks and it was fun but um but yeah i mean if he's not going to be close to that resurgent guy that you thought he was going to be and and then things like this are happening how could you invest more money into him and the last little note that I, that I will say, uh, I saw Chris Herring tweet something about sort of on the mental health thing too. Um, someone was basically going off about you know how Rose could do this and whatever else, and kind of Chris had the same sort of mindset I had on it, and he's like something doesn't add up. And then someone uh, made a comment about, oh well, I initially thought it might have been like a suicidal thing, which seems extreme. But then Chris mm-hmm. was he made a little comment uh, as a reply to someone. He's like, you know. I've been there, and sometimes your first instinct is you just need to be with someone or alone, and it's not necessarily to call somebody. So I I don't want to make it too dramatic or more than what it is either, but I do think if it's fair to say that 
you know, we're going to sit here and say maybe it was a big FU to the Knicks or he wasn't happy with the state of the team or his playing time, whatever. I think we do got to consider everything else until things get a little bit more clear because uh, mental health is kind of a, a very delicate thing. There, there's no exact science to how people are going to react or what triggers people to go off. So it, it really could be anything. Sure. So it's just just the, it's so awkward the way it happened. I'm still trying to make sense of it days later because none of it truly makes it's, sense to yeah, me. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense. It, it's awkward how it all played out. It's awkward how the whole thing was handled. Um, you know, the, that's kind of, a, I think, I don't really, um, I wasn't paying too much attention to it with the no, with new uh, CBA, but I want to say that I noticed a little something in there about just like upgraded, um, you know, mental care for the players of the course of the season. Because, look, I, you could be the uh, you know most stable guy in the world, but when your team is going through a stretch like the Knicks are going through right now, and when you have all the stress of being the guy who's running that show and trying to play for, uh, you know, trying to impress potentially other teams as well and play for that contract and everything like that, that's enough to get any guy stressed out. Yeah. Um, you know, and Derrick Rose has proven not to be the best decision maker in the past. So, nope. you know, the, you know, it, it just kind of, it starts to add up a little bit. Um, I, you know, there's not much we're really going to be able to know until we know. Um, so yeah, I'm trying, tr- not trying to put too much blame on him, but it's just, it's, Man, it's it's just so Knicks-ish that it played out this way. It, it was, you know, I think the best tweet to encapsulate the whole thing was uh, from Clem, our friend of the show, Clem, and uh, he, he tweeted, he tweeted on the on the, like the overall sports spectrum. This is this is like a surefire nine on the weirdness scale. He's like, but but for the the New York Knicks franchise, this is like a a, a soft seven, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that kind of nailed it because. Every every year, every month basically that goes by that we think, all right, well, you know what? I think we've Friends seen it all finally. Around. Yeah, it, it cannot possibly get any weirder or worse. This is, you know, we, we've been to hell and back. That's got to be it. And then Derrick Rose disappears and no one knows what happens for like seven straight hours. Not even Wodge. Wodge was guessing. So yeah, no, no one knew. Nobody, no one knew in the post game. In two thousand, knew a damn thing was Joakim Noah who said, "Yeah, he's okay." In two thousand and seventeen. We couldn't, no one was able to get in touch with him for six or seven hours in 2017. Yeah, yeah. Not even, I mean, that's not the even a source. Part. Not even a that's source. That's the scariest part about it. There's Where always a source. Like, there's always a source. And there was yeah, no sources. Source. And we saw plenty of, uh, plenty of people out there, especially on Twitter, who had plenty of sources. Uh, but no sources with the team uh, telling them anything. So I don't know how that works out. But um, yeah, it's it's just wacky. I, I you know every now and then I think this that the Knicks might like end up becoming or getting closer to the median of a regular NBA team. Like I don't know. Let's 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 pick a team. What's a regular NBA team in your opinion? A regular NBA team. Like like what's the most average normal team in the league right now? Um. An average team, I'd probably say the Pacers because the Pacers, yeah, like the Pacers, the Pacers. or like maybe the Grizzlies, or like you know, just like yeah. a team that kind of like is what an NBA team kind of is in 2017. Kind of, yeah, 
I mean, yeah, because yeah. both of those teams kind of had their up and downs, but they're mostly consistent. They're either a middle right. to bottom tier playoff team or or they just kind of just the playoffs. like but teams that just kind of operate <laughs> in the normal NBA sense. Teams that kind of look for talent that <laughs> would thrive in today's current NBA. You know, every now and then I think that the Knicks might start making strides to get closer to that median and kind of like you know, do things like an NBA team normally would operate, but then things like this happen. Well, and I'm reminded last... exactly why that can't happen, but that's kind of what makes the Knicks great, right? Uh, yeah, that that's a word for it, I, I suppose. But but um, not <laughs> that's last. That's why we're fans, I suppose. I should say that's that's kind of what I thought last year was. Last year they they we were all kind of stunned because they operated like a regular basketball team, and it was weird. Outside of we were stunned because they operated like a regular basketball. No, because team. I, I remember I remember <laughs> that after the, the Robin Lopez deals and the Aaron Aflalo deals, suddenly and, and the the length and the money and the fit, everyone collectively, especially on basketball Twitter, who usually waits to slam the Knicks, they were just like, "Huh, these are actually good deals." I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, it helps them now. It uh, maintains long term flexibility. You didn't throw too much money at any one of these guys. You gave them player options. This is actually wow, well, well done. And everybody was a, it was a slow little uh, golf clap applause. I mean, it was it was nice. And then all of a sudden, we're just like, fuck it, Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, <laughs> Derrick Rose stars and taken four. Like it was it, it was rough. It, it was a very rough oh, and difficult. Man. I mean, it, it's sort of weird how far we've come from, you know, functioning for like a regular franchise for one year, but. Whatever. I swear that Kylo Quinn is the only one who made it out of that whole uh, group of them. Unscathed. The four players signed. There was, it was Robin Lopez, Aflalo, Derek Williams, and O'Quinn. And O'Quinn is the one that remains of those four. Yeah. Crazy. Miss you, Rolo. Yeah. So do we all. Anyway. Um, so, Mello, very interesting with his... Uh, his ejection was his 11th for his career. Um, the one he got against the uh, the last game against the Pelicans. Um, last I checked for his career, DeMarcus Cousins also has 11 rejection, uh, ejections. That kind of strikes me as, and I've been kind of throwing this, this stat around to everybody too. Everyone finds that as like, Pretty, pretty odd, pretty crazy. No one expects Melo to be the guy getting you know ejected eleven times, um, but I think that's kind of just like the role he's growing into. I don't know. Is this something that's coming with him with age, or should we expect to see more fiery Melo, or the refs is getting sick of his shit? Probably a little of both, but I think it's because he's probably getting older and frustrated. And what strikes me as odd is like when when Boogie gets ejected. You can probably see why he, he's angry. He's animated, right? But it's funny when Melo gets ejected because you don't normally see why he gets ejected outside of when he punched Tablo Cephalosha in the face the, uh, a couple weeks ago because that was a very clear. It was a good jab, and um, normally like boxer. like like this last game, and then um, what was it against the Celtics? He got ejected, but he does this weird thing when he gets frustrated or annoyed. He uh he smiles, so he gets mad and he's talking shit, but he's smiling. So you don't actually the 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 face value to it when when you're watching the optics, it it looks okay because he's smiling as he's talking. You're like, well, he's he doesn't look mad, but whatever he's saying must be so fucking bad, and we don't know 
because the Celtics game, that's what happened uh, like two months ago, the beginning of the season. He said something to the ref. Uh, I forgot who it was. I think it was Tony Brothers. And then, you know, Tony Brothers looked back at him and Melo's still smiling and Melo says something else while smiling. And then he gets tossed. And I was like, what could you have said with a smile on your face to get you tossed? Yeah, it, you know what it is? It's he, he puts that... Um... Because this is exactly why he gets, like, two technicals in a row. Again, you know? It's because he's got, like, that shit-eating grin on his face. And he's just like, you know, it's putting himself in the position that's above the refs. You know, that's what, you, that's what they really can't stand. It's he'll be smiling. He probably doesn't even have to say anything all that bad. You know, drop a couple swears, kind of. He's probably not saying anything about the guy's mother or anything. But, uh, you know, he's just like... Just the fact that he's like probably smiling and like you know putting himself above the ref or you know saying something along the lines of like you know I don't give a shit about your call like you know I'm Carmelo Anthony that's probably what's getting him into more trouble and I think you know him getting a little bit more frustrated as the seasons have gone on um, you know frustrated in his own growing limitations and frustrated in the Knicks not being able to do anything during his tenure there. Um, Probably he's carrying a he's a little looser with the tongue around the refs lately, um, so I think that's what's that's what's definitely leading to this uptick. But yeah, I mean i th- I don't I don't think it's necessarily a bad role for him to grow into as he's getting older though. You know, get a little bit more chippy as the skills kind of you know take a little bit of a step back. Not that he's really regressing all that much yet, but I'm just you know planning for the future here. I, I think it's I think it's fine to a degree. You know, you can get technicals and you can get fiery and. You gotta you gotta know where the line is to get that one quick one to be angry and fire up your guys a little bit and then kind of take a step off the ledge there. You know, he's three times now. He's I mean, I'll say two times because the other one was nonverbal when he, you know, got Tabo there. But um, yeah, you, you gotta know just kind of when to stop. You get the technical, you get fired up, you know, get your money's worth for one tech and then scale it back. That That's... I think that's kind of yeah, always right. been, kind of been, been... Let them have it. If you're going to get one, let them have it. But you, know, you don't need to get two. You don't need to keep John. Yeah, but it's, it's the same way with Hornacek. You know, Hornacek will get fired fired up, and he goes at the ref. He gets his tech, and then he cools it. You need to show that you care. And, and I think it does matter. Again, there is some value to it. And you can argue that, too. You know, being level-headed, you know, show them with your play on the court and all that other jazz. But to me, there is something about when you're out on a basketball court playing with guys and... You're frustrated. You guys aren't playing well. And one of your teammates gets fired up like that. You know, at, at least for me, that gets me going a little bit. I, I want to get behind my teammate and help him out too. And I think KP always being the, the innocent balance guy, that there's something to that for him. You know, at least if Melo's having a bad game, at least he knows, you know, well, you know, Melo's still fighting. Melo cares. You know, let's go out and try to get this win kind of thing. I think there's a little bit of value to it. I have noticed a little bit more of a fire in KP's belly uh, this season, though. Mm-hmm. Def- I definitely playing with a little bit more of a, um, you know, uh, fired up mellow and uh, just Joakim Noah lately. I I see Kristaps, you know, contesting a couple of more calls, um, av- you know, after the whistle. I see him getting, you know, he's he's definitely getting a little bit of an attitude too, which is good. I mean, that's this is it's, I think kind good. of part of it. It's Getting him fired up, getting him going. Because guys are going right at him, he's too. He's not going to get pushed around, yeah. Guys go right at him now. When uh, Last last year, it was kind of like you didn't know when the honeymoon phase was going to end kind of thing. You know, he, he'd have his little stretches or quick highlights, and then you didn't know if he was going to disappear for the rest of the game, and you didn't know if he was for real or not. But now that we know he is, 
guys are coming like even Giannis. Giannis had is normally a very nice guy, and Giannis had like a scowl when he was playing with them against them. So, you know, it's guys are gonna go right at him, and it's fun that he's going back at these guys. And yeah, he's kind of developing a little bit of an attitude himself, and and that's that's good. That's good. You know, you don't want to see you don't want to see him get too hot headed, but. This is kind of a nice development in, in an otherwise shitty year so far is, you know, seeing him kind of play with a little bit of an edge. I like it. What, um, to you, <laughs> what would be a better rivalry? Porzingis Towns or Porzingis Anetokounmpo? Um, I, I think, I think ultimately we'd like to see Towns, but the Towns game so far, I mean, we've had, what, four games against Towns with KP and... They haven't really lived up to... They've been good games. They haven't been rivalry games for the, the two of them. You know, they they, yeah, they get matched up on each other once in a while, and KP will block Cat here and there, and vice versa. But nothing... We haven't seen them go at each other like Giannis and KP did. And I don't think I ever would have been on board for a KP-Giannis rivalry, because on paper, you're just like, well, KP's going to get fucking thrashed. He's just going to get blown by and dunked on and but he really held his own and he put Giannis in the blunder in the post a few times and they're just yeah they're interesting players to play against just because they're both just so like multifaceted that you can do so many different things like with the two of them just let him go yeah yeah and then like KP's over he hits the the three from like 46 feet away you know it's <laughs> it's 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 little things like that that I was like oh, okay I, I, I for right now I mean it's you can't put the little towns thing uh, above it in my opinion those two games kind of set it over the top it, it was back to back against the bucks and both of those games i think he played well enough and yeah i i like it i, yeah, I like I, it i just feel like they have kind of a similar Giannis and kp have kind of a similar personality uh where towns is a little bit more reserved but um yeah i i think I, any game with those three in it or any combination of those three players playing in the game are just outstanding. Um, so real quick, a question I want to ask you to you are the playoffs still a realistic goal here. In light of this last week, are, are we, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step there, off the right, ledge. Two, let's, let's do this. Uh, let's do a two question thing here. Um, are the playoffs still a realistic goal? And does this team even consciously need to tank anymore? This team will never consciously tank, no matter how much we talk about it. But do it they even fantasize. need to? Like, do they, or will they just be bad enough on their own? No, they won't be. Because at some point, this team, just on paper, and, and just the talent that you, you saw them overachieve a little bit in the beginning of the season. Remember when we got to 14 and 10? And, and now they're underachieving. And it's going to balance out at some point. And... So so no, they they won't be consciously tanking. They won't be unconsciously tanking. We're gonna end up either making the playoffs or we're gonna just miss it. That's sort of the reality. That's how I feel. There's no way this team with the players that they have on it are going to uh, play that bad to end up in the lottery. In my opinion, I, I really do think this is we're gonna get one of those just bad enough positions to not get a good pick and just good enough. Or just good enough to not get a pick, and just bad enough to not be able to compete. I I really do because what are we now at? Uh, we've only won seventeen twenty one. Yeah, but we've won one out of the last 
what, like 13 games or so or 12 games or something stupid? I think it might be like, I think we might have two. I'd I'd look it up right now, but yeah, something like two in the last 13. Right now they sit at 17-21. They're 11th in the Eastern Conference. Well, if we look at it this way, Um, they they were 14-10, and right? Now they're 17 and 21. So we're at least 3 and 11 in the, in that stretch, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's it's not it's it's not good, but at the same time this isn't a team that is going to keep playing 3 and 11 over and over again. You know, they they're going to bounce back to some degree and whether it's in this difficult upcoming stretch or not, but um I I can't Yeah, well let, let's take a look at the games real quick. We we're playing so we're recording this podcast. It's about 10 o'clock on uh, 10 o'clock on Wednesday so we're playing tonight at uh, against the 76ers in Philly and then the next will be playing Thursday at home versus the Bulls that's tomorrow um, they're going to be playing Sunday uh, against the Raptors in Toronto Monday uh, versus the Hawks at MSG and Wednesday against the Celtics um, in Boston. The schedule kind of really stands out to me for two reasons. One, two back-to-backs in there tonight and tomorrow, and um, you can Sunday and Monday. So that blows. And not only that, but they are playing three of these games on the road and two at home. And it's not even like they're doing it in the stretch. It's like one on the road, one at home, one on the road, one at home, one on the road. So... It, I mean, those are tough teams to play against. This is kind of a perfect storm for their season to really own the shitter. So I'm a little lower on them than you are right now. Uh, whereas I'm kind of... My prediction is definitely lower than it was for them um, from the beginning of the season. I don't necessarily think that they have the talent to be much more than a ninth seed right now. I don't. I don't think they're making the playoffs anymore um and yeah i just feel like if this stretch if this week goes really poorly for them we could definitely see uh some talks about shutting some guys down for the season or you know something or another i just think that there's a window of opportunity to get worse and kind of do a mini tank um that will be opening up with the within this next week and i think they have to consider it at least no, I, I actually agree on that point. If things do go poorly, because this is a very, it's a long stretch that's consistently difficult. You have what are likely playoff teams or damn near with Chicago. You know, I, I think they beat the Sixers. And then after that, you get the Bulls and Jimmy Butler's been on absolute fire. He's been, I think for sure, the second best player in the East. And he's, if the Bulls were a little bit better, he's surefire uh, MVP candidate because he's been out of his mind and, and almost every statistic you can look up on on either side of the ball and win shares and all that other crap, he's been just on another level. So you're getting the Bulls at kind of a bad time because now Rondo doesn't play and Jimmy's on fire. So they kind of figured that out. And uh, Toronto's it's a band-aid, t- I'd say, but yeah, it's it's a band-aid. But for now, they're on they're hot. And Toronto's still Toronto. Atlanta's been a little bit resurgent after that early slide. Boston's healthy and they've been playing lights out. Washington, they also figured it out. They were six games under five hundred to start the year, and now they're right in the thick of, uh, you know, the Eastern Conference playoffs. And you know, the Suns, you almost can't even overlook the Suns after that. Now we're getting a little far out, but well, yeah, but it depends on how the week ahead of that goes. You know, if if they play, you know, if they have like an, 
you know, two and four week or something or a one and five week and then go into the Suns game, it's like your confidence is going to be so damn shot that they're going to be a challenge too. You know, it's not like the last game no. was all that easy. No, I'm not high on them going into the stretch at all. I think this is a, a terrible stretch and, and likely goes poorly. But a little part of me, I always try to approach these things kind of balanced. And I just think law of averages here and, and things have to balance back out at some point. And I think this might be one of those stretches where it's the balancing starts to happen. I'm not saying this is like a winning streak or, or a stretch or anything like that. But I think maybe instead of going 0 for 5 or you know, one and four or anything like that. I think maybe it's closer to 500, maybe a game over. You know, I think maybe they start mm-hmm. to get these ones at home. You know, that maybe they beat the Sixers. The Bulls is a winnable game. You've beaten the Hawks in the Garden before. That's a winnable game. If you can get, and then you got the Wizards, who you should be able to beat the Wizards at home. And I, I do feel like there are, this is sort of, this was always a make or break month for the team. And, and you've let a lot of winnable games go so far. So if you're really going to stand for something this year, this is when you really got to do it. Because these are against, you know, in, in um, Atlanta and in, in Washington, even in Chicago, these are the teams you're going to be sort of rubbing elbows with to try to get into those last couple of seeds in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So you really got to take a step up and start, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak, and really take some of these teams out. So I, I'm not really high on them. In, in light of everything that's happening and more than likely I'll be wrong, but I, I think this might be a stretch in and where they go four and two. I, I just, it, it has the makings of, of a weird things balance out. You get a couple good games from Melo and KP and everybody kind of walks back off the ledge and, and things kind of cool down for a little bit. And then, you know, we'll probably blow some games right after this to Phoenix and Dallas. But I, I think this stretch they'll, play up to the competition a little bit and yeah I, i'm gonna go probably forward to here oh man buddy my head is not in the same space as you i am not in an optimistic mode about this team right now i'm just playing the law of averages uh, here things gotta no i i, I feel you I, I totally i'm behind your reasoning i'm with it every step <laughs> of the way but i i just don't see it i'm seeing maybe get right game against the sixers tonight maybe i can see him beating the Bulls tomorrow too but then I just, yeah, I, I think they lose to the Raptors. I think they lose to the Hawks. I think they lose to the Celtics. And then they got to win against the Wizards. But it's going to be a toss-up whether or not they're feeling good going into that game. Um, so, yeah, looking at the, looking at what, we're, what we got right now, I'm going to say two and three. And I'm leaning two and four if you consider the Wizards game in there too after the Celtics. So yeah, I, uh, I I'm not feeling great. I'm thinking the Sixers or the Bulls, but I gotta be honest with you, I'm not even all that optimistic about the Sixers game. I'm more optimistic about them beating the Bulls on Thursday, honestly, uh, than I am again. I I just I don't know something about that Bulls game strikes me as the game that they're gonna they're gonna pull that one out. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but. Yeah, I, I don't understand why the Sixers game is kind of scaring me. Because um, of the process, big process. Yeah, big process. You know, big money. But big um, Little I, money, big process. I, I don't know. I mean, last thing on this stretch, I, I just... The reason things have been so terrible is because Melo's shooting worse than his already horrid season percentage. KP wasn't shooting too well. Derrick Rose stopped shooting well. 
And then on top of that, he goes missing for a game. I mean, every it was like then Melo can't stop getting ejected. Guys are getting flagrants and getting tossed. It was like the perfect storm of, of, of every horrid thing happening, every worst-case scenario happening all in one stretch. So that's kind of where I'm at with, like, look, it again, for now, till maybe two guys go missing, I, it can't get any worse than what we've just seen. And I just think not all of these guys, at least on a basketball level, not all of these guys are going to continue to shoot 30%. It, it's just not. At some point, you're going to have to break back to whatever your numbers are. And yes, this, the competition's a little bit stiffer, but I am in no way confident in when I say four and two. I just think that's sort of how it, it's going to break here. That's fair. That's fair. Pray. Predictions of what you think is going to happen, so I'm good with it. Um, all right, so this is kind of something we were uh, planning on doing on today's podcast. Um, just kind of taking a look at where the team's sitting right now. There's, you know, we figured there's two ways that they could go about doing this. There's, they could bring in some help right now and try to, um, you know, try to right the ship a little bit or audition some guys for next year. But they're ultimately going to have to go after some new names this summer. Um, you know, they have draft picks this year. They have three of them. They have a first round and two uh, second round picks. And they're also going to need to, you know, they're going to have to be some kind of a player in free agency, too. Um, so all that being said, I want to know, give me one player who's going to help us out now if they were to sign and one player who's going to help them out in the summertime if they were to go after, uh, the summertime, I I think you, and I, and I really, I, I honest to God, I hate being that guy. And and I feel like I've been saying that more and more lately, but I, I hate being that guy who, looks at the pipe dream and, and then and then falls into it. But I think if there were ever a chance to get the last couple of elite years of Chris Paul's career mm-hmm. this summer, I think you could you could sell him on KP, you could sell him on playing with Melo, and, and I think that's a route you got to take. And you just give him a blank check, and yes, I know he's on the wrong side of 30 now, but he's still having a fantastic season this year. So... I figure you're going to get at least two, three more good years. And he, he doesn't play with a lot of explosiveness. He plays with he, a very slow-paced game. He's so, low to the ground kind of guy, yeah. So he's he's going to age well. And, and I think that's... He's he's almost Chauncey Billups-like. Like, Chauncey Billups got older, but he never really fell off until, like, the bitter end, you know? So, he tore his Achilles, and that was really yeah, the end for him. Yes. Yeah. So something, I, I think that's what you got to do. I, I I really, you can't throw the money at Derrick Rose. You, you can't. I, I I think you need a more distributing guy. I mean, Chris Towers brought it up, so this, this is why I'm tying it in, is if, if I was going to trade for a guy, I'd try to pry a Rubio away from Minnesota. And I are think you saying that as a player for the present, or are you play, player for the, the present? Yeah. I, I think you try to you try to go after Rubio now. He's sort of, he's sort of fallen out of favor a bit in Minnesota with Thibodeau, but he's still a, a very good distributor, a very good defender, and that's kind of what we need at that position. We need a guy who's going to be able to to kind of get to the rim and score, which he does, and we need a guy who is actively looking to kick out to his second and third options in, in Melo and KP, or first and second options, I should say. And I think he'd be a good fit. I really do. If there was ever a guy to trade for and where his value isn't astronomical right now, I think it's him. Because Tyus Jones is getting some good minutes now in place of Rubio. And, 
you know, even Chris Dunn. I mean, it's sort of like a point guard by committee thing. So if there was ever a time to try to scoop him up, this might be the time. Now, I, I don't know what you could really offer Thibodeau, because, again, it's it's him who's in charge there, too. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you could try, and I, I don't think he'd bite on taking Joakim Noah back, but maybe you package up some of the younger guys, too. I, I would give away maybe Noah and at least offer Noah and... and you got to give him something good to get Rubio, maybe maybe a second round pick, and throw in Billy, as much as I like Billy, and give them something to shore up their interior. You know, even O'Quinn, try for O'Quinn, who's played okay, but I think Rubio for the present. However, you could swing it, I. But I think that's likely going to entail a young guy or two in a second rounder, and uh, I think if not, you. For the summertime, you, you got to go after Chris Paul. I, I don't think, mm-hmm. I, I think that there's, I think uh, Nerlens might be another good option to try to trade for, but he's a restricted free agent next, uh, coming into the summer. So I think throw money at him too. But it, yeah, it would be tough, like having a lot of money tied up in Nerlens and, um, and uh, Noah at the same time. That's a little scary to me, but. I, I feel you there. It kind of, it, it's, I don't know. The roster's already a mess, and it's just kind of cleaning up some holes there. Um, so for my picks, I kind of went, um, I kind of, just because it's, the roster's such a mess, and I'm kind of approaching this from a Phil Jackson Zen mindset where, you know, I'm going to let the market kind of play itself out. The big names are going to show themselves over time, whoever's available on the trade market or free agency or whatever. They'll show up. So I'm kind of looking after the glue guys and some of the guys who are going to fill out the roster. So for the time being, I uh, I wanted to take a look down at the D League to help us out for the rest of the season before they go out after any other available free agents. Because, I mean, the guys who are waived and the guys who are currently like free agent point guards are not very... There's not a very uh, deep class in them right now. So I was looking at... Um, yeah, you know, the Knicks have Damian Inglis and Duran Lamb stashed in Westchester right now. Um, you know, both of these guys are, you know, they're going to be a little bit of underachievers over their career. Um, you know, none of them really average more than like two in any statistical category. Uh, but they are, you know, putting up some big numbers in the D League. Duran Lamb's got plenty of 20 point games as well as uh, I think he had a 41 as well. Um, you know, a couple of like 11 rebound games. Uh, Inglis is a little, he's got plenty of like, uh, you know, big double, double games, couple of block games. Um, so, you know, he, they're both kind of doing well down there. Not anything great where you got to call him up immediately. And with Shasan Randall off the board for the time being, at least it's like, you know, I'd rather kind of at least try these guys out in a couple of 10 days and see how they kind of sit. But there's just no, they'd have to cut someone from the roster. So there's just really no space at the moment, but I would think, you know, if you want to try to do something, you try to call up these guys first, see how they fit, because you've got them already. You might as well try them out. Um, as far as the summer goes, I was looking at um, the most important one is the draft, and we'll touch on that in a minute. But another guy that I think they should go after in free agency that kind of helps shore up the bench is Shabazz Muhammad. Um, you know, it hasn't really been a fantastic player and it's kind of losing space in the rotation in um um over in minnesota right now he's down to 
17.8 minutes per game right now from 20.5 last season. Uh, and his scoring dipped about three points as well. But he's kind of one of those guys that I think if he were in the right place, he would come in and be a really killer six man. You know, he doesn't have to do anything but score, really. He's not going to give you much on defense. He's not going to give you anything, really, with the assists. He's not going to, you know, be much of a rebounder. But he'll at least be able to put up points uh, in a couple of different ways. And he's kind of a three stuck in a two's body. But regardless, he just kind of he just fits the role of a contributor to me, a scorer kind of guy. Someone else who's going to be able to pack a punch off the bench. I think he could be a real solid sixth man. Uh, a role that Jennings desperately wants to fit right now, but just his skits, his skill set isn't really letting him. Um, so that's who I would kind of go after this summer, as well as whatever big names show themselves or whatever roles we have to fit for the team. Okay, I uh, I like that. I, I think if you could, I would almost try to. I mean, I was on board with Rubio. If you're on board with Muhammad, I think maybe you try to throw together, even though Muhammad will be a free agent, I think you try to throw together a little package now. I, I think that yeah. might get them both. And, you know, maybe try to move O'Quinn and uh, maybe sub in Billy for uh, Coos and then throw maybe a, a picker there, a pick or two in there. Yeah, I and agree. Yeah, maybe I, maybe a couple seconds, two or three role players will do pull that off. I, see, I would see, what think, you, yeah. see what you can get. That way we get a little bit of bench scoring and we get a... a a facilitating point guard who could still score a little bit. I mean, his jumper isn't there, but we were more concerned about we need a point guard who could drive and score at the rim, and, and Rose has been that. But if we can get mostly that in Rubio, because that's where he scores. He doesn't he doesn't score shooting jumpers. So if we can get that same kind of uh, slashing, cutting, finishing point guard of Rubio who passes more, and then get a Muhammad with him, and you could try to sign Muhammad as well, that might not be terrible either. You shore up the bench and the point guard in one foul soup there. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm all for that. My only concern is, you know, how you balance out minutes between Rose Jennings and um, and Rubio at that point because everyone's going to want you know a decent chunk of that action. But you know, if Rose and Jennings aren't performing how you want them to, I mean, there's no guarantees here. These are make right con- uh, contracts and. You know, you sometimes you have to accept being played a little out of position or, you know, falling out of the rotation for a little bit. But that's, you know, that's kind of the best move I think we can get for the future is going after someone like Rubio. I would be really thrilled if they could get a Rubio Muhammad package put together. Yeah. And the last little note here is um, I feel like for Hornacek, you can't have enough point guards because he loves two point guard sets. And yep. I think the reason you don't see more of it is because there's no depth outside of Jennings and Rose. So if you're playing those guys too much at the same time, you have nobody to spell them. I think, let's say you did add a Rubio, you could almost, almost at you know at times you could always plug in uh you know Rose and Rubio kind of offset it you could plug in you know I think you always got to have Rose in there and Rubio and uh, Jennings could spell each other until you decide to resign or not resign Rose but um I, I think that would work well too because that's kind of Hornacek's thing is he likes having multiple point guards in there as well so I think that could really benefit yeah. us but we'll see um so the last thing I want to touch on today is um Looking at the draft, and you know, we kind of touched on we have a first round pick and two second round picks at the moment. Um, you know, it's an interesting class, and we don't really know where the Knicks are going to fall right now. Um, but you know, I my prediction right now is that they're going to fall somewhere, and I'm a little low on the team right now, but I think they're going to fall somewhere between the 
you know, late lottery and, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm expecting somewhere between like maybe the seventh pick and the 14th pick or so. Yeah, I'd probably, like, I'd probably go low teen. Oh no, low teen just the lottery. I'd probably go between like twelve and fifteen. I, I think that's likely yeah, where they end up. I'm, I'm just like you know, kind of leaving it open for like whatever direction the season kind of ends up spinning to. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think, um, yeah, I the one player, and we're kind of looking at, um, because I haven't really been watching too much college basketball this season, same. but uh, Brendan Duball, uh, one of our senior writers at the Knicks Wall put out a piece earlier this week, uh, a way too early Knicks 2017 draft guide. Uh, so I was reading through that and taking a look at a couple of names and looking some of the guys up. And the one that really intrigues me um, for where that I think the Knicks are going to end up drafting, I think would be a really good pick is uh, Edmund Sumner out of Xavier. Uh, mostly because he is just freaking huge. He's uh He's six foot six ish with a six eight wingspan. Uh, you know he, he's a good defensive player. He gets steals, uh, one point nine per forty minutes right now. Uh, obviously these are all college stats, so take them as you will. Uh, you know he, he's kind of still improving his his finishing, improving his shot and everything. But he to me just seems like the kind of guy. I, when I'm looking at point guards right now, I want a big body point guard out there who's going to be able to get over guys to get it to Porzingis. Okay. That's really my main concern. If I'm drafting point guards or if I'm scouting guys or if I'm trying to develop players, I want guys who are going to play with, you know, KP obviously. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at a point guard who's going to have the body to be able to play with him. You know, I don't want these like six foot guys who like aren't going to be able to get KP the ball just because they can't physically get over their defender to get him the ball. Um, so that's my biggest concern right now. And that's kind of why, uh, you know, I, some there might, be a little high up to get to like, you know, the like 13, 14. I see him like in most mock drafts going around like 17 to 20 something. But, um, just like kind of his, uh, yeah, his physical skill set right now and just how I think he might fit with this team. You know, it, it's, it's striking me. I, I'm liking it so far. I, I agree on that. And, uh, I think depending on where they get their picks, I, I kind of liked who he started the article with, with, uh, What's his name? Anunabi. I've never said that name out loud. I've just read it. Yeah, so. no, I'm, I'm the same way. Um, yeah, and I, I liked it because that, that's a big boy, and he's going to play the two or the three. I mean, he's six eight. He's got a seven six wingspan. So you put him and KP out there. Once KP kind of comes into his own a little bit more at the five, I think that's just length. That's sort of the Bucks sort of thing right now. Is there's just arms everywhere. They just they're long. They get into passing lanes, and it's just instant turnovers. And that's this guy has been one of the best defenders in college ball this year, you know, according to B Dubs. And um, I think because he could play the two or the three, and you have Courtney Lee as your starting two guard right now, that kind of opens you up too to maybe ease him into playing the three even, and because uh, he's big enough for it at at the NBA level, and that can kind of slide Melo into the four, so it transitions Melo well. We don't sacrifice too much defensively because Melo's better off at the four. You know, Anunbi's better. He's a good, uh, better defender than Melo probably will be. And, you know, I, I think that kind of might help with the whole uh, defensive identity going forward because then you can get KP back towards the rim. He's one of the best rim protectors in the league. So maybe with him, that's a way you can start develop uh, to develop a defensive identity instead of trying to figure out the offense and everything else and how to make it work you could just let that kind of come naturally 
keep building through the draft, you know, see who else you can get. But um, at least this way, you, you know, you're starting to create a culture of defense. You know, I, I think that would work as well. I think that's very important. So sure. um, I, I think I think either way, I, I think it's got to be a very uh, perimeter based draft, in my opinion. I, I think we're both on the same page there. So, you know, B-Dubs points out, too, it's, it's best player available should be the strategy for this team. And I think it should be best player available with a focus on the perimeter, I think is, okay. is most yeah, that important. Was my next question is whether you think we should really be going for just strictly best available or if we're picking for position. I, I think you go best available. And I, I think you try to keep a perimeter oriented, try to go for a guard. But the only reason I say that is because I feel like a lot of the athletic bigs that usually end up panning out, you, you don't need to, to maybe burn a first rounder or a top pick on them either. I think a lot of times for those guys, you know, like a Clint Capella, even a Rudy Gobert, those guys got taken a little bit later, first mm-hmm. round I think, but but later for Gobert, I think he was like twenty something uh, of a pick. So you can kind of wait for those guys to fall to you, is what I'm saying. You could try to pick a good athletic big if you wanted to get one to to shore up uh, the defense a bit. But I, I think you always got to go best player available, and and for us that that's mostly a centered focus on um, the perimeter. You know, try to get some other guards in there. Try to get, you know, a, a guy in the perimeter. Melo, Melo and KP both get torched on the perimeter. So those are your one-two punches. You got to get something, somebody there who's going to be able to play, you know, more than capable defense, you know, good, solid defense. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Defense is definitely, yeah, it, it's, you know, drafting for best player available, I think, you know, you don't necessarily have to go for position. Uh, you know, perimeter focus is best, but just fit, you know, it's going to be which, what, who's the best player who's going to fit best with your team and your system and what you're not willing to change around this player. Yeah. That's why that's, that's going to be the most important thing to me. And I think you're right. And it's, you know, bigs come around late in the draft all the time. It's you have the Knicks have two second round picks this year. They don't, you know, not sure how they're going to quite use them or if they're going to both be around by the time the draft comes around. But if you swing, let's say they t- use both picks on two bigs and you like swing for, you know, like, you know, a foreign guy or one of the guys at a college who's like, you know, one of the later picks, chances are you're going to maybe not strike gold, but you'll probably get a rotation player out of one of those two. Right. Like you can, you can mold a big man fairly easier than you can a perimeter player or a point guard or something like that. Yeah, I, I I agree, and and I think because of that, you just find one that that's good, has good defensive instincts, and you know you can make a living of just that. And the offense will come how it comes. Like look at DeAndre Jordan, Tyson Chandler, who've made a a literal career out of just playing good defense, doing well enough on the boards, and just throwing it down when it's around the basket. You know, it's you can make a very good career, and, and not just a career, but you can make a significant impact on your teams from just having a strong defensive identity. So you being, can build around that. Yeah, you, you really can, and, and I think that's what this team needs to go forward with. Is it's always hard to to figure out who's going to mesh well offensively if you're trying to go for an offensive guy. The, that's an inexact science, and oftentimes we've seen that the draft is a crapshoot for that. But if you get a good athlete who could play good defense, that guy will always have a place in the league somewhere. So I think. Like you're saying, even if it's a role player, then sure. But at least he's a role player. You know, at least he's not a guy you thought could come in and fill the point guard slot for 15, 20 points a game and never pans out the way you wanted. You know, at least that way he he's always 
keeping himself kind of relevant and afloat. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think this draft, however go, it pans out, it's going to be pretty vital to the next couple of years. But Absolutely. Um, absolute last thing we're going to touch on today is uh, just a quick note on all-star voting. Got right now you're looking at your front court leaders are LeBron and Giannis with absolutely untouchable numbers. LeBron's over 595,000 votes. Giannis is over 500,000 votes. The third front court guy you're looking at is Kevin Love with a very catchable 250,000 votes. Reason I tell you all this is that Carmelo is currently sitting at 189,817 votes and Chris Stops is at 184,166 votes. You know, this is going, it seems like a couple of months late to be saying this, but get out and vote, people. Uh, hashtag NBA vote, Christoph Porzingis, Carmelo Anthony. Let's get some representation out there. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel much better at this point about um, KP getting in, over Carmelo at least. I, I felt better about one of them getting in, you know, just a week ago or two weeks ago at this point uh I, I don't i don't feel confident in the popular vote here i i think having the media uh vote might actually help kp's case uh, not not carmelo's case I, I don't think carmelo gets in this year and uh i i think there's an outside chance that kp will just make the team at least as a coach's pick as as well so I, I'd like. I would say that they they probably get about even an even chance. I would say, in my opinion. But like, I I feel like the it, media the media still does love Carmelo. The players still do love Carmelo. Players love Kristaps. Media love Kristaps. The fans right now, I do think Carmelo still got a wider. Odd, I mean, you could see he's got you know not huge, but he's got about five thousand more votes than Kristaps right now. Well, I just mean in the sense that like, um, I, I don't think either one's going to win this popular vote. I don't think they're going to get no. voted in. So I think it's going to come down to the coaches thing, and I I think the coaches might take KP at this point, with how poor Melo's been kind of on both ends this season. I think usually the coaches get it right, so I I think if they're if one of the Knicks was going to get in, I I'd like to have some faith that they're going to be able to pick a KP, and that that that's where I'm at. You know, I I wouldn't I just, mind I one way or another, but I really don't want to see like. I feel like there should be caps on like how many players a team can send to the All Star game, like that when all five Atlanta Hawks went, like that was kind of bullshit. Um, you know, right now it's the way it's looking. It's going to be LeBron, Kyrie, and Love in the starting lineup for the East. And like, come on, that's just well. What the, am I going to do? Y- yes, yes, and no. I mean, the, the Hawks thing was ridiculous, but I, I, I'm more apt to believe that this is okay for the Cavs because Love's having a career year on both sides of the ball he's scoring more he's he's just he looks better than he's ever been and Kyrie's probably what still couple top couple guys at his position and bronze Braun. so I I feel like this is okay the, the Hawks thing was a fun story because it was like you're either voting them all in or you're voting none of them in because they were one in the same for that fantastic season and that's why they all won player of the month and or whatever that garbage award was that one year so uh so I, I feel like yes to the Hawks point you're right, but for for this Cavs instance I think it's okay because th- these guys are all I mean Brown and Kyrie are tops at their position and then you know Love's been fantastic all year he's been wildly efficient great on D so it's kind of hard to just you know get him out of that lineup as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. The the bigger problem with me is more Kyrie. I feel like there's like three or four guards in the East that I would put over Kyrie in there. But um, but that's not necessarily for me to say. That's that's why we vote on these things. And there are, I don't, I don't know if anybody knew this or not, but I'm not a voting media member for all-star voting. So, I, uh, we, you know. We can pretend to be. Yeah, we can pretend to be. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that about does it for this week, eh? Yep. Yep. Um, uh, big so thank you to our uh, official sponsor, Carvel Ice Cream. Yeah, yeah. For, uh, I don't know if you guys listened to all the pod last week, but um, yeah, we got on a little bit of a trend about Carvel, and uh, they're they're into it. They uh, hit us up on Twitter, and let's let's finalize that paperwork, Carvel. Let's get you on here. It's the official it, sponsor of the TKW podcast. I like it. Thank you uh, for your support, Carvel Ice Cream. I, yeah, I will. Uh, do it without, I literally could not do it without you. I, I will eat a whole swirl cone every day and videotape it and send it to you guys if we get this uh finalized so uh it's good for business i will directly give you money to sponsor us so just uh it's a very open plea so take it yeah i definitely got a uh, reese's carvalanche in me but like every two days because that shit gets a little heavy but um (laughs) yeah anyway um you can go ahead and Follow us on Twitter at the Next Wall. Give us a like on that old Facebook page. Um, yeah, you know what's screw. It. Let's let's plug ourselves here. You can follow me at Twitter at uh, at Wish I Was Corbo, and uh, this guy over here is Maggio MBA now. That's the yep. uh, the new handle. Yep. Yeah, at Maggio MBA. So that's a shameless plug right there, and. Um, we're going to have some good guests coming on the next couple of weeks. Um, yes. So keep an eye out for those announcements. We're just finalizing a couple of dates now. Uh, some good articles going up over at thenextwall.com too. So make sure you're checking that out. And, uh, you know, previews, recaps for every single game. We're there making sure that you're covered. All right, guys. All right. We'll talk to you all next week. Take care. Take care.